Hello and welcome to Take My Advice, I'm Not Using It. I'm Ollie Henderson and in today's episode I talk about Flex with the author of a book by that name, Annie Auerbach. Annie is the co-founder of the cultural insights agency Starling and originally wrote Flex, Reinventing Work for a Smarter, Happier Life in 2019. The book is a fantastic guide to the value of being intentional with the idea of flexing your life, whether at home, at work, with your body and looking forward to the future. As you might imagine, it proved a hit for many people as we entered an uncertain period last year and it's now being published in the US later this month before a paperback is released in the UK in March. Annie and I definitely talk the same language when it comes to reimagining how we should approach work-life design and I really enjoyed our chat. I hope you do too and if so, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast as well as my newsletter, Future Work Life. Now, thanks to everyone who's left reviews on Apple Podcasts, including Sophie458 who said... This is a fantastic new show and a must listen if you're interested in how work is changing. Great work, Ollie. JH82, who said, if this first episode is the benchmark, then this podcast could quickly become one of my favourites. And FDFSD3435, who said, consistently delivers fantastic content. Keep up the great work, Simon. Not sure who Simon is, but I appreciate the sentiment. If you don't mind, I'd love for you to take a moment to add your own review and rating and to share this show with anyone who you think might find it interesting. So, on to the conversation. Here's my interview with Annie Auerbach. So, Annie, thanks very much for joining me today. I have lots of questions for you, but I wanted to start with one uh, which relates to this general idea of flex, which runs through your book, of course, which comes by the same title. Is flex ever a problem is it always inherently a good thing um lovely to be here thanks for having me Ollie yeah great question uh flex I guess it's how you define flex if you define flex what we're going through right now which is um where our work lives and our home lives have been smashed together um we are coping with huge anxiety and the um the fallout from the pandemic um, I would say that that's a huge problem. But this, in my opinion, is really not flex. This is working from home during a pandemic, during a crisis and trying to make things work. I think when we really understand the concept of what flex can be and how it can be a holistic approach to life um, and it can cover off work, yes, but also um, our creativity, our minds, the way we think about our bodies and our circadian rhythms, the way we think about our futures and um, the way we might have to learn new skills and pivot as we uh, live longer and and have longer careers. All of that, I think, is a hugely positive, expansive and creative way to live. Um, So I'm clearly (laughs) on the side of flex. Yes, absolutely. And we will, of course, talk about flexible work more later, but I'm interested in the general holistic approach to flex. Let's stick to the COVID conversation briefly. Have your views on flex changed through the pandemic? Have you evolved your thinking at all? Yes. Um, So I've been monitoring flexible working and living for about 20 years, um, partly because my day job is I run a a cultural insights agency called Starling, which um, understands the big societal shifts. And so much seems to be pointing to flex in terms of tech, in terms of more women in the workplace and a huge number of macro shifts happening. Um, 
But then there, um, and personally, I've worked flexibly myself in various different guises. So it, it, it's a really important topic to me. And then the pandemic happened. And suddenly, all of these ideas, which seem to be um, at the fringes, really, that I was pushing for, plenty of other flexible work pioneers were pushing for, suddenly tipped over into the mainstream. And so it was a moment of like, for, 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 for me watching this happening, I, I, I was incredibly um, intrigued as to how it would play out. And of course, it's it's had a, um, a very rapid adoption, which hasn't done been done with particular um, thought in many ways. We've just scrambled, businesses have scrambled to make it a reality so that they can keep their workforce safe and keep things going. Um, so it hasn't been implemented in the ways that we would have hoped. Um, but what has come to pass, actually, is that I've understood that um, when we're working in this way, we need to think very intentionally about our own rhythms during the day and our own boundaries, because what we've witnessed during COVID is that the working day has got longer. Um, people feel overloaded. Um, there's a real sense of presenteeism where everybody feels like they need to be contactable 24 seven. Um, and all of this is a crying shame really, because um, flexibility should, should be about your own um, your own balance and your own mm. creativity in the way that you create a work life that really works for you. So it's made me think that we actually, um, as individuals, need to be more intentional. But more importantly, there needs to be systemic change um, yeah. in in the way that that businesses and workplaces approach flexibility. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, that we considered presenteeism a problem before but it's now worse. The idea of just sitting in an office and being visible for a certain amount of time was clearly a broken methodology of measuring how effective somebody was at work. But the, the idea that now you just have to be visible online is even crazier, isn't it? And it is a, the sad manifestation of that is that people are working much longer. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see where the productivity's improved because I think that some of the surveys are released at the moment are suggesting that in people's own minds, they are more productive. But it's... Difficult to understand right now whether there has been general increases in productivity and what the consequences, the negative consequences might be on mental health. And I think we are starting to see some of that side of things, aren't we, in, in reports which are revealing that not a great surprise because I think I've experienced it myself, which are people's mental health is being challenged. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your point is right that so many of the problems with work culture pre-existed the pandemic and you know so um the notion of bums on seats presenteeism you're only mm. um you're only committed if you're visible um you know i had so many anecdotes about people sort of leaving jackets on the back of chairs to seem like they were there when they were rushing home to try and you know relieve childcare. um and these 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 pre-existed covid um but at least um i guess we had certain rituals which exist that were built into the beginning and the end of the day so for example the commute and as much as many of us hated our commutes um, long stressful um expensive um yeah. they at least had these pockets of transition at the at, where you sort of transition out of work mode and into home mode and now we've lost that um, we need to recreate it in our own ways and give ourselves boundaries because to your point um, without boundaries 
um, it feels like a kind of all we've done is imported the toxicity of the workplace into our homes mm. and that is really chipping away at people's mental health yeah I'd be keen to talk about the various aspects of flex that you discuss in a bit beyond just work and you talk about flex at home so taking that specific example I think early on I started incorporating some sort of ritual, my virtual commute, if you like, going out for a walk in the morning. I mean, the reality for me right now is I don't even have time to do that because I've got kids at home, you know, with homeschooling. I'm interested in this idea of flexing the home because, of course, it addresses all of the things we've just talked about. Things are sometimes out of your control and just allowing for that and accepting for that, both as individuals but also employers, accepting that sometimes people simply can't be in the place that they should be at a particular time. And and I'd say that people are more willing to discuss that and a bit more open to that. Has that been your experience as well, either anecdotally from talking to other people or through some of the research which we've seen recently? Are employees more willing to allow people to have flexibility around hours? Yeah. So I think, well, the reason why I focused a whole chapter in the book about home is because I feel like you could argue for as much flexibility as work as possible, but if that doesn't feed into the way we live our lives at home it, it it's going to be um it's going to constantly clash together so um the way i talk about flexibility home is in terms of a kind of equitable equitable distribution of chores and and the emotional load at home um but also to your point um flexibility in terms of when and where we can be available and i've seen some really positive things from employers who um encourage um for example meeting free fridays um, who encourage uh, Channel 4 have implemented a um, a lunch break, which takes place between 12.30 and 2, I think it is. And, yeah. and you know, you can take that, that's sacrosanct. And so I think mm. employers who are sort of acknowledging that some space needs to be sacrosanct in terms of rest and recuperation, but also in terms of focus. I don't, yeah. don't know about you, but when we're constantly leaping from one meeting to another and email's interruptive and then your kid needs you because they can't, you know, print out something that they need to print out or um, mm-hmm. all of this or, or your, or your mum's calling because she's sad. You know, all of these things are are the reality that we're going through, but it's incredibly fragmented. Time is, is yeah. little shards of time everywhere. And in order to, you know, be productive at work, you need to have some period of time which is um, uh, sort of um, ring-fenced um, without interruption so that we can sink into more of a flow state. Um, now, yeah. that might be, you know, pie-in-the-sky thinking at the moment, but ultimately that's what employers need to, need to do is not fill our days and our calendars with endless, relentless chopping and changing, but allow us periods of deep work. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that that might be the next evolution of flexible work. I've written about that recently, where I think, as you described, we were quickly forced into a new way of working. And frankly, we did a pretty good job of it collectively. We realized that location wasn't such a big deal as as we might have previously thought. I think also there's been definite flexibility around allowing people to fit in urgent things happening in their lives a bit of allowance for kids being at home I think the idea though that you can literally segment days into different parts is probably still pretty nascent and I think ultimately for me that's a critical factor in allowing true flexibility in people's working life so just saying and this is something I've introduced within the company I'm working with between 9 and 11 in the morning you simply are not allowed to contact 
people because that is focused work time and it's a weird concept for a lot of people initially isn't it you know so well, you know what if, what if clients contact us what if there's something urgent but you quickly realize that there's very few things in life that can't wait a couple of hours and actually the benefits of it as you described just the even the potential to get into a flow state just means that you can significantly offset downside through increased productivity and effectiveness and creativity and all that good stuff totally and also when you realize that the, you know the studies have shown that even you know in the most ideal conditions we're only productive for about three hours a day anyway so you know so allowing the space and time for that to happen without constant interruption and then not being too focused on productivity I think that I think that the natural kind of chat and discourse around working from home has been an obsession with productivity Mm. because of employed you know, in the past, pre, pre-pandemic, the biggest fear from employers was you will shirk from home, right? So if yeah. I rely on my work- workforce, any kind of autonomy over their time and location, they're going to be watching breakfast TV and buggering around doing nothing. And that simply has not um, been the case at all. And as you said, like, there's plenty of studies that have shown that pro- productivity has either remained stable or gone up indeed. So, um, so what I'm looking forward to is a time when we, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't constantly think about productivity um, and we think about different types of outcome. So the impact that our work has, the yeah. culture that we build, the creativity that we have and the collaboration, the inclusion of the workforce when we allow more people to work flexibly, you know, those people that would have been, um, excluded or shunned from a workplace that was all about kind of machismo and, and long working hours and churn and inviting those people into into the workplace can only make it better. Mentioned that there was this belief historically that flexible work is it was a mum thing. Yeah. I think at least it doesn't appear that that's the case anymore. I, I think maybe we've banished that notion because everybody's had a certain amount of flexibility, but it will be interesting to see once we return to normality, whatever that is, uh, whether some of these, the acceptance of this actually carries over and how companies will adapt to it. How important is it for leadership within businesses to also model the type of behavior which encourages flex? Oh, it's so important um, because um, for so long, as you as you said, um, and I talked about it in my book, flex was a mum thing. And there was almost like a motherhood ghetto of flex, which was that it would be um, mums that would request it. And often their request would be turned down if it was um, accepted. Then definitely I, I experienced this feeling of, of sort of moving on to a slower track. And um, the concept of the sticky floor, really, where you're, you know, we talk about the glass ceiling, but there's a sticky floor as well, which means mm. that you're so grateful for the flexibility that you managed to negotiate that your career, you don't think as much about your career progression and you're just, you just stay where you are. Um, and part of that is because flex is not seen or hasn't been seen as something aspirational within a business or associated with success. And therefore, when you have leaders who model that behavior, um, who, who um, deliberately talk, for example, if their parents deliberately talk about, you know what, I'm going to take time out because I need to be with my kid, or who um, 
I, I talk in my book about the example of when we were all in offices leaving loudly. So saying, you know, I'm off now because um, I'm off to, to make dinner for the kids or whatever it is. And um, so that's in the example of parenthood. Um, but, you know, other examples of really just um, associating flexibility with success. Yeah. Rewarding fathers, for example, that take parental leave. Um, showing that flexibility doesn't equate to a slow lane or out of sight, out of mind, or, um, you know, a, a different type of, you know, a lack of career progression, but actually flipping the whole thing on its head and showing that making flexibility work is actually a sign of intense innovation <laughs> and yeah. also working at your very best right so telling stories of people who are working flexibly in all different ways not just months you know um older people um young people who are doing stuff on the side um maybe have different different strings to their bow um people who are in the sandwich generation dealing with elderly parents and and kids you know all these different types and models of flex and telling those stories in a really positive way will make it less of something to be ashamed of and more of something to celebrate and to, uh, to associate with success. So you mentioned before you've worked flexibly for 20 years. I'd love to hear how you ended up writing the book. I suspect that it's probably further evidence about why flexibility in your life can actually be a real benefit, particularly from a creative point of view. Yeah, so, um, so I wrote the book in 2018. Um, so... I was, you know, I had no idea as much as my job, my day job at um, starting my, my insights agency is all about sort of trying to understand the future and so on. I can't say I predicted that the pandemic would happen. But um, so all of the stuff that I wrote in 2018 was the culmination of personal experience. Um, and I have to say candidly that, you know, a lot of it has been chaotic for me and it's been highs and lows of flexibility and I wanted to write something really practical um, uh, with lots of tips and inspiration from flexible working pioneers that would help people along the journey you know the handbook that I wish I'd I'd read 20 years ago Mm. but then from more of a um, professional point of view I'd just been interviewing all these amazing academics and thinkers from around the world that were pointing me to the idea that flex was was a a concept that was on the which was tipping into which was going to tip into the mainstream Um, and so it felt like an urgent topic to talk about so part of it was sort of thinking about it from a sociological point of view and the need that we all have for this and part of it was this very personal um, quest to normalize and to to help people really yeah that research was that part of your work for starling or was that just just you know as you said your your personal interest well so the um uh, the, the projects that we might work on at Starling might be anything from the future of the home or understanding mealtimes or um, our relationship with um, nature and the outdoors or, or these kinds of things. And the, the, the type of work that we, would, that we would do and the experts that we would speak to, we'd end up talking about um, the role of tech in our lives or we'd end up talking about the... Um, the gender, the, the, the work, the emotional load at home and the gender distribution. And so it's almost like I was 
accessing flex as a topic from all these different weird angles that I hadn't expected to. Um, and it felt like it was the center of this storm of shifts yeah. that were going on in life. Um, so, I, so to begin with, I guess it kind of coalesced into an idea that I really wanted to write about. Um, and then when I started researching it and doing the, the, all the research behind the book, I just realized that it fed into so many different areas of our lives, which is why I deliberately didn't want to write a book simply about work. I wanted to write it about um, all these different um, intersecting parts of our lives. Um, so, so, yes, it was kind of I, I think of it as like because our business is starling. I think about it as a starling murmuration of ideas that were all coming together into one thing. The synchronization point, you mentioned circadian rhythms earlier, and perhaps current circumstances aren't the best. But can you explain that idea and why that is relevant to flexibility? And perhaps from your own experience, what that has meant in terms of a typical day, if there is a typical day? Yeah, sure. So I looked um, in in a particular chapter, I looked at flex in the body and tried to understand, um, you know, if we listen to our bodies a little bit more. Um, how we could redesign our days to work with them rather than going against the grain. And so I looked at it, as you said, in terms of circadian rhythms, but also in terms of the menstrual cycle too. Um, And the typical nine to five that we have all adopted um, and 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 gone with most of us, if if you're not working shift work or night night work, has was designed really in the industrial revolution for everybody to be in the same place at the same time. And, when you look into um, the way people's circadian rhythms work, um, many of us are morning larks. So our um, energy and productivity is high during the morning and then and then depletes and, and peaks again a little bit later on in the afternoon. Some people are night owls, and so they're very slow and groggy during the morning, and then they peak around sort of six and seven at night. And then there's hummingbirds that are sort of in between. And it struck me that this nine to five was really quite a rigid structure, which didn't um, allow for any flexibility around the productivity um, peaks that would be at either end of the day. And in fact, you, if you're a night owl, you're wasting your productivity or your energizing peak on a commute where you're probably sort of stuck under someone's armpit in the, in the train. Um, so allowing yourself... Um, flexibility in terms of the rhythm of the day um and I know you know as you say there's not much of that at the moment but some of us are waking up a lot earlier because we're anxious for example Mm. and maybe then that would be a time to do a bit of work key work which allows for for a bit of focus before the kids wake up depending on how old your children are um Mm. would um would would be a way of, of flexing in a way and then allowing yourself to be much more accessible and scattered during the during during the, the rest of the morning when the kids might need you. So I do think there's ways we can tweak our days to um, to coincide with these these peaks. Yeah, I completely agree. And from a personal point of view, then, do you and your husband, for example, have to plan out your week to be able to balance this type of lifestyle. How does that fit in with the idea of flex at home? Because, of course, as you mentioned in the book, pure flex means working in sync with other people as well, doesn't it? It does. It does. And, I, and um, I, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we're total experts at this, but we've had loads of conversations about it because it's really important to us. So um, each work 
day and week will look quite differently for, for both of us because um, you know he's a he's an author um, and he has different um, bits of the day and week where he's needed to do certain events or to to write with his co-writing partner um, and so it does require quite a lot of boring logistical conversations mm-hmm. where you sit down and go what is your week like that when do you need to this do I'll be available here and here around your thing and, and being able to sort of prioritize and go, well, clearly this is super important for you. Like world book day is coming up and he's got loads of um, events with school children um, and so on. So clearly I need to somehow make my week around that more flexible yeah. and, and, and not arrange stuff around it. So, you know, I would say that it's, it's a, it's a, you embrace it as a, a real sense of empathy, but it, it does require boring logistics at the same time. <laughs> so you're doing it <laughs> yeah. out of love, but you are also having to be quite sort of rational and go, right, so what yeah. can you make sure that, uh, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's almost like a dance where you're trying to, um, you're trying to help each other and, I, I wouldn't say it's an entirely equal split for most people because, um, you know, is everything, is anything ever 50-50 exactly in a home? But it should feel equitable. It should feel balanced. It should feel yeah. that you've got each other's backs. Never has this been more true, but in general terms, actually just talking about this stuff is often the solution, isn't it? You discuss the the sort of principle of having a shared vision, which... Whenever I talk about this in relation to relationships at home, it sounds a bit contrived, doesn't it? When you sit, sit in a boardroom and you come up with your vision, that feels like a kind of businessy thing. But you sit down with your partner and do that. It does. It's not something you do every day, is it? Sit down and talk about your shared vision for the future. But it is a useful sort of you know place to return to an anchor when you're having these types of conversations, which is simply that you've both got certain goals either individually or collectively and making decisions which supports each other in those is, is ultimately the right way of going about it but it doesn't mean that it's uh it's easy throughout the week does it because i'm sure like you like everybody else has the uh, moments where you probably both feel like you don't have enough time to do the things you need to do yeah exactly and you know that you know shared vision does sound corporate but then actually what it's about really is how what's important to us what matters mm. um how and that will change over time right so these things aren't set in stone and actually in the book I talk about this period of time um Aviva Wittenberg-Cox has written she's a um an American um expert in gender and leadership and she's written about um how seven years is quite an interesting um chunk of time because it allows you you know change will have happened during that time you might have experienced highs and lows, maybe you've worked through a crisis together. Um, And to check in with each other and with yourself in terms of your career of, is this working for me still? You know, if not, what do I want to change? How can we together allow each other the space and support to make that happen? I just think that's really powerful actually, Um, because all of us get sucked into the rat race, don't we, of, of just, sort of at the moment a lot of it's firefighting of what's needed and making sure that everybody's got what they need but you know to be able to give yourself the time and space to um be a bit more intentional and proactive about it is must be a powerful thing isn't it yeah 
I completely agree. And the, the presumably the way you've set your business up is intentional as well. I understand that you uh, have summers off. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we work 10 out of 12 months a year. And um, the reason being is that um, there's so many different forms of flexibility. I think we've shortcutted to working from home, right? And we think that's flexible. It's really not right the way that we've been working at the moment is is so far from flexible flexible um but there's so many different types of flexibility you know there's um location flex there's time flex there's job share um there's kind of annualized hours phase retirement all different ways but we discussed it me and my partner adam discussed it when we set up starling we wanted flexibility to be at the heart of what we did um and we thought that the summer would be a really good time to take off because for us, both of us have kids of school age and we think in terms of, you know, at some point our kids will be older teenagers and they might not want to spend that time with us anymore. Mm-hmm. So think about the actual summers you have as a family. Is it, is it 10? You know, how many do you have for us? You know, for us, it might be more like eight now. Um, so so, so that was a powerful thing to be able to, you know, that's when the kids term obviously um, has the longest holiday. So that, would, that was a powerful thing. But the other thing was important to us is that if we constantly churned ideas and churned projects for our clients and didn't allow ourselves the time and space to stop, to read, to learn, to allow ideas to clash together and percolate um, we wouldn't actually be producing the best work for our clients. So for us, it was about really thinking, how can we do the best work? And the best work sometimes requires rest and stopping. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was our decision. It was pretty um, nerve wracking, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, how does that work on a practical basis? Are you having conversations with clients and saying, look, just so you know, I know it's mid-June, but we've only got a month to to start this or we're gonna to have to pause you know how does it sort of manifest in those relationships and what's the client's views on it are there some who are opposed are there some who are supportive well so far touch wood we've um we've had we've only had positive responses to it um and we have, we, we are as you say quite you know we, we talk about it um openly the last thing you want to do is is slip into that kind of flexible shame <laughs> thing that yeah. we were talking about earlier but we're open about it and say you know so we try and plan um the year and we try and plan projects as much as possible and say like you know we could fit it into this thing and and also think really intentionally about september and and is there anything that we could do to um to make sure that when we start in september we've already started having the conversations with our clients and you know we're not completely rigid about it um you know it's not that we're not going to we're going to stop answering emails completely um but we really try our best. You know, my partner's doing um, an MA at the moment and, um, it, and and I wrote the book in one of my summers off. You know, I, I've mm. been doing the research for, for years, but I, I actually sat down and wrote. So it allows you to, um, to have different strings to your bow, which then feed back into the main business anyway. You know, the, the yeah. ideas that you have sort of feed the mothership. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, hopefully the idea is you land in September and you've got loads of new ideas and you're, you're really refreshed and ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? It's, it I suppose it's radical on the, on, on the surface, but then it's, maybe this is a cultural thing because 
and look, the states is is even worse than in the UK for this in terms of taking time off. But in Europe, there's having long summer holidays is yeah, pretty common. I mean, right. it's 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 changing, but it's that's pretty common. All the evidence does show the importance of rest and recovery, doesn't it? it either on a granular level, you know, talking about flow on a day to day basis, recovery is just as important as that focus period actually, just to sustain that over the long term. But equally over a year so i've got another guest coming up in a few weeks who wrote a book called endure which is about the limits of human performance and clearly recovery in sport is absolutely crucial but we seem to not carry that relationship over to cognitive and 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 mental health and probably the end result is burnout for a lot of people and i think if you talking as you mentioned earlier that we're going to be working a lot longer mm. again it's intentionality isn't it so having being intentional in the way that we plan our years as much as we plan our weeks can be pretty important exactly and it is hard to have that long-term um vision at the same time as dealing with 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 stuff on an on a more immediate level but you're right that you know that the way we're living at the moment will mean that we will be working for much longer and that we will go through, life will deal us different cards as we go along that journey. You know, it's not going to be completely um, stable the way we progress. And we have to build in uh, periods of rest. We have to build periods of introspection to find out, you know, is this still working for me? Is there anything that I could do to make things better for, for, the, for, my, for the workplace that I work for or for mm. myself and my family? Um, so I do think you need to keep an eye on um, on a more sustainable long term vision of what work and living is about, as well as yeah. dealing with the short term. And you're right to make the um, parallel with with sport and and physicality, I think, because I just think it's much more visible and obvious when you're exhausted in a physical way. And it's less visible and obvious when you're exhausted in a mental way. And, mm. um, you know, we could have been sat in a swivel chair all day. And so therefore not really moving our asses at all, <clears throat> but leave the de- at the end of the day, leave completely depleted. Mm. And it's not necessarily visible, but it's something that we really need to take into account because you could be sort of sleepwalking towards burnout. Um, yeah. And... And that that's that's a terrifying prospect. And I think that's happening all over the place at the moment. Um, and and these conversations need to happen. I'm very aware of this stuff. I literally talk about it all the time and write about it all the time. And yeah, I actually was having a conversation with my wife yesterday. And I, I think I'm probably burnt out right now. And this is the thing you can you say sleepwalking into. It. I think however aware of it you are, it can happen anyway. So unless we're making definitive decisions about how to positively encourage people to take time off or to like you said earlier not have this sort of drip 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 of meetings throughout the week or expectations around work actually allowing people to sort of have autonomy over their time and also helping them plan their time I'd, i'd be interested to to hear whether you've got any advice about how to do this because switching from a working culture particularly where you're expected to be in meetings most of the day, which is very common for a lot of people still, however unproductive that that usually is. Switching from that to a very different way of working in which you are saying, well, actually, look, let's segment your day and say the mornings are for focused work. You have collaborative sessions in the afternoon, incorporate some downtime. It just probably seems such an alien concept to people. Where do you even start with that, either from a sort of individual level or as a business? What, yeah. what are the kind of the first steps 
Well, what I, yeah, what I would say is, first of all, acknowledge it's really, really hard. This stuff is super hard because it's really easy to follow a path, a well-trodden path of the nine to five. We don't have to think about that. We, that happens, that it's got, it's got stuff in place, it works fine, whatever. To do as you're suggesting and as Flex is suggesting, which is really think about how we can better plan the day, super hard, because you're reinventing it from scratch. So, and I think that in terms of the individual, there are certain things that you can do, which is just be a bit more introspective, try and understand your own circadian rhythms, try and understand um, the points in the day where um, where where you can do admins sort of mindless tasks and the point in the day where you can do more thoughtful considered tasks what your family needs what the people around you need um, and just start to have those those conversations with yourself um, and 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 work out what it might look like draw it out you know in terms of a graph the highs the lows what 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 that might look like over the day but what I would say uh, more importantly is I don't want to responsibilize the individual for all of this because it's another burden it's another mm. emotional load to carry which is work out your entire work structure <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it, it's tough and i think that actually the responsibility lies with with government with society with businesses to do that too so um and, and the thing that i worry about is because as we've chatted about already the switch happens so quickly for most businesses. And to be honest, so many industries that said that could never work for us. Flexible working could absolutely never work because of the needs of this and the clients and da 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 da. They have done a 180 and it's happened. But there's been no time, and it's been a year now, right? And there's been no time allocated really to think about how can we design this better? rather yeah. than just importing all of the old habits into a new space. So, I mean, it sounds tough, but I just think we need to slow down and allow businesses the space to redesign and, yeah. you know, build back better, as they say. But, you know, as yeah. and, and if we are cramming our days with overload and meetings and so on, no one has the time or space to do that thinking. Because it's tough. Yeah. I think often what I'm saying to people when they ask me that question is just start small. It's like any sort of in innovation, isn't it? You just take small incremental steps. We've already had one fundamental shift where we, you know, all started working in a different place. To to reimagine work again, it's yeah. probably unrealistic. Another implication, which again relates to more relationships with friends, which you mentioned in the book. And there's I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but Moai, I believe, is the is yes. the word. So I don't know if this is true of your relationships, with your friends, but it's, lockdown has clearly changed the dynamics between friendship groups. And I, I wonder if you could explain what the concept of MOI means and how that could theoretically help provide some support in what are challenging times, but also maybe the pressures which not being in contact with people more regularly puts on that principle. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought that up. It's um, it's a concept that I was really intrigued by. So Japan is, particularly this area of Japan called Okinawa, is one of the world's blue zones. Which And blue zones are areas of the world in which people live much longer lives than average. So they're really intriguing. So, you know, what mm. people do in those 
in those regions? What do they eat? How's their life? You know, why is it that we have, you know, more longevity there? And interestingly, people form a social network called a MOI, which is when a child is born, they're put into a group with a number of other children that are born around the same time. Um, and this is their kind of crew. This is their lifelong crew. And it doesn't, you know, it's not necessarily built on friendship as such because they don't know each other, they're babies. That stuff develops with time. And what that crew does is they support each other um, emotionally, sometimes even financially, over the lifetime. Uh, they meet regularly, they discuss what's going on, and they have this, this set of reliable um, uh, con- confidants that they um, they progress through life with. And I really like this idea because I think that um, particularly in the West, we've neglected friendship and we've prioritised work or indeed romantic relationships over friendships. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's all different types of, of friendship, clearly. And um, the studies show that the types of friendships that have really suffered during this pandemic are what they call weaker ties. So the people that we don't necessarily... Um, uh, the, the people that we kind of run into or have more yeah. incidental relationships, more of the which are super valuable to us, they really are, um, because your weaker ties are the ones that you know can connect you to somebody you didn't don't know before. Sometimes they're even involved in you finding a new career or, or so on. Yeah. Um, and so I think that um, that that it's been an interesting one. Have you noticed that your friendship? your your relationships uh, have changed or um, have either been sort of helped because you're sharing or hindered because you don't see each other a lot? I would say hindered in that I just find the concept of recreating social occasions over Zoom Uh, just really difficult to to do and I'm you know I'm thinking I'm a fairly sociable person when I see people I just like I like the dynamic of seeing people in the flesh and actually it's interesting you meant sort of those incidental relationships I think from a certain point of view those work relationships actually are missed or even just occasionally walk down the street and bump into someone you haven't seen for ages and you might not know them that well but there's a certain dynamic a certain energy that that can give you which is just entirely different to speaking to the people you have the strongest ties with and clearly there's a reason you carry on speaking to those people this you know your best friends and family throughout a situation like this but i i definitely miss it and it's definitely affected the relationship i can't wait to see some of those friends in that sort of environment again i know it's so tough isn't it and and you're right that we've got one interface for all of our mm. human interactions which is a bloody screen yeah and it's so tough because I don't want to do Zoom drinks either because what, you know, I spend my life on Zooms. Why do I want yeah. to do Zoom drinks with friends? So, and missing the, missing the physical, you know, seeing someone in 3D, <laughs> yeah, yeah. chance to hug a friend, all of that stuff is, is so missed and poignant right now. Um, and also the other thing I think which we need to be quite conscious of is that, um, at any one moment in time, I don't know how you've been during this pandemic, but I've definitely had different moods where sometimes I feel completely down. Sometimes I have a black humour about it all. Sometimes I feel, you know, quite excited by, yeah. by what we happen to be doing if we're making something nice for dinner or whatever. Sometimes I feel desolate because somebody I know is really ill or whatever. So 
everybody is on a very different page. And when you pick up the phone to call somebody, you have to be very conscious that your mood might be entirely different from theirs. And it takes a while to find out how you really are and to find that yeah. middle ground. So it's not, it's not simple. It's a, it's a, it's a complex thing at the moment that, um, that we're dealing with and with yeah. friendships. Yeah, and no, I agree. The easiest thing in the world when people to say, how are you doing, is to say, yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah. You're not bad. Not bad. Not bad is that what most people say. And actually, it's hard to dig below that. I think, I mean, most people's experience was last spring. If things were, things were all right, actually. The weather was good. You know, people were yes. sort of off work. But whereas January was shit. You know, for most people, yeah. it was terrible. It was a bad month. And February's not been much better. But look, yeah. maybe light at the end of the tunnel, it certainly... You know, in the UK, it's going to be spring soon. Okay. And the days are getting longer, so there's there's hope. What what are the positives that have come out of COVID and the impact of flex on people's lives? How have things changed, which will ultimately lead to something which is better? I think it's been um, this amazing period of reflection, um, and we. I think prior to all of this, it would have been very hard to shift working cultures in this huge universal way because it would require each business to to make the decision one by one by one. And it would have been, hopefully there would have been huge change. but, But this has meant that we have really spent time thinking about Um, the problems with working culture and how we can make it better. And it's, um, you know, it it feels like almost a portal um, in Mm. which we can walk walk through it um, with different ideas of how we want to work and live. And there's been so many people who felt that finally um, they're able to be part of um, a working culture that traditionally excluded them. And... If we listen to all of these voices and really understand what's needed rather than just sleepwalking back into the new normal or elastic banding, you know, boomeranging back to how it was. If we if we actually use this time to think more imaginatively and creatively and reinvent it, um, I think it would be an amazing um leap forward for the working culture and balance really for all of us yeah here here well annie thanks very much for your time today that's great really really enjoyed that thank you so much annie it's been such um, a pleasure chatting with you that was my interview with annie auerbach author of flex reinventing work for a smarter happier life you'll find a link to the book in the show notes I hope you enjoyed listening. If so, please subscribe to the podcast and the newsletter. Next week, I'll be sharing my conversation with Ogilvy Vice Chairman and all-round advertising Don, Rory Sutherland. Until then, have a great week.